Thank you for joining us for Yes and No, Challenging Assumptions About People and Work. I'm Kim Lear. I'm Steve Hunt. And my background is in sociological research, and Steve is a wonderful industrial organizational psychologist, and we join together to discuss controversial topics that reflect different beliefs about work and employees, drawing on stories gained from working with thousands of companies combined with knowledge of empirical, social, and psychological research, we debate what's true and what's fiction when it comes to the changing nature of work, employees, and society. In the show notes, there will always be a reference to uh, the the data and research, so you can review that. And just a disclaimer is that Steve and I are trying to review these topics from a lot of different lenses, and so for the sake of debate and discussion, we may say things that we don't entirely believe, so please wait until the end of the show so that you can hear our genuine thoughts on these topics. Thank you for joining us. Uh, today's question is... Uh, are young people less hardworking than old people? <laughs> oh, these kids these days, they just don't work like <laughs> I used to. You know, I think as long as, actually there is research that shows that people have been saying this, like as long as they've been tracking research. There's stuff from like, I think the early Chinese empire. where they Well, to... <laughs> there's that stuff. And then also in the show notes, I'm attaching um, Paul Fieri. Is, he's a great political scientist who teaches at University of Calgary. And he puts together these hilarious Twitter threads of archival, newspaper clippings and he had a thread recently um you know dating back to 1894 of documenting the whole history of no one wants to work these days and so you know it's always been a part of our cultural narrative that we worked so hard and they are not also there's i think the cultural narrative is about you know old people they can't keep up with the changes in the world too so it these, which I think is the flip side of this one. So it was, yeah. you know, it's interesting we were talking about this particular question that the definite fact that I'm a psychologist and you're a sociologist like show, came through because you were like saying, okay, I'm going to define it based on this age cohort right now of this group. And I was more like looking at individual differences and change over age over time, very like psychology perspective. But, you know, it, it, it it's, it's one of these things where when you have pervasive beliefs like this like kids these days they don't work as hard there's probably i'm, I'm this is a yes and no i'm not, not going to say i agree with that but there's probably there's got to be some reason why people keep saying it yeah well i'll say what i think it is and then we can go into the yes but okay. this is just my idea on it is that ideally in a society that is progressing the lives of your children are better than your own life, easier. Um, it's not true anymore. Yeah. I, well, and I'm going to talk about that. I'm going <laughs> to okay. talk about that. Sorry, but I'm, but, but I'm going to say I'm going to I'm just I'm going to say ideally, especially yeah. you know in America where the whole American promise is the promise of mobility. You know that that type of thing. And so I do think that there is an element of this that does have to do with sacrifice, which I'm going to expand upon in a moment. But there is this idea that's very human to me, which is you cannot have what I have unless you go through what I went through. And it's a difference in how we look at ourselves and our families versus how we look at society, where when you talk to parents, parents do say about their own children, I hope that their life is better than mine. I hope that they're more fulfilled than I was. I hope that they're able to reach levels of their potential that I could never reach. But we don't want that for all children. <laughs> 
we, you know, and because then when all children attain that, then we're kind of pissed. And then we're like, well, why is everyone getting to be fulfilled and I'm not fulfilled? Mm-hmm. And how come everyone is getting to you know, experience their, their greatest potential and I didn't get to do that? And so there's a little bit of that disconnect that exists between what we want for ourselves, for our children, and what happens when that comes to fruition across large groups of people. Yeah, that's that's really it's really interesting you talk about. I always I often joke that no one has more unrealized potential than your own children. You know, <laughs> we only we only see what they could do. We don't have an appreciation of what they have done. But I think part of it is like going back to that comment, you know, that people want their lives of their children to be better and that's followed. But I think and there's this there's, hey, there's a lot of data now where they're saying the next generation is the first time in American history where the next generation is not going to be, and I think it's important, affluent as the previous one. Does that but that equates affluence with better life? Yes. Which is I think that's an important distinction to make because um, you know, I think there's very big differences in people's attitudes as parents about what they think their children's success for their children is defined as is it defined as the kids doing stuff they want to do or is it defined as stuff that the parents want to brag about right well and these are the pieces of our conversation that i love because i get to tell steve that this actually is kind of generational (laughs) and he can tell me that it's not but the meaning of success and how we measure it evolves and changes over time right and that's um you know how i would kind of categorize that as these like intra-cohort changes of of a generation reevaluating how they want to define these terms and even though it can permeate culture at large it kind of starts this flame typically within a youth culture that was given these different events and conditions, these different economic environments that can change, you know, some of their their feelings on that. And with that, let me go into my little thing on yes. Let's just pretend here for a moment that younger employees are less hardworking than older employees. Yeah, yeah. Before you go into the yes, yeah. just like kind of that, that comment that you're talking because I, I agree with you that people's definition of success definitely does change over time, and I think it's. It's a reflection of the challenges that people were facing when they were, you know, growing up. I definitely see this in my friends who are from like China and India in particular, yeah. where if you go back a few generations, their parents were like, we're just trying to have food. You know, it was, you know, their their purpose of work was a lot more fundamental. And so I think that definitely influenced, you know, their success was we want you to have a job where you don't have to worry about being able to feed your family. Right. Um, I think what's happened in the United States, you know, and this is not a bad thing, but, you know, that's not an issue for most people in the United States. And I think that that's allowed to a luxury of people defining success differently, which I think is good. Mm -hmm. Um, So I agree with you. I think it's, um, I will say, it's changed generationally because the quality of life around the world has gotten better. Totally. That's been the big change. Totally. I agree. Um, so are he, kids less hardworking yes, than we are? Because I like to think that they are. I'm, me, <laughs> I'm hoping they're actually harder working because Lord knows our generation has created enough messes they need to clean up. So they better work harder than we do. Well, let me pretend, yes. Let me pretend that they are le- that, the, that they work less hard. Okay, that, that's they, that. Yeah, that they're slackers. I would say that if there were, th- there are two reasons why I, why I could potentially argue less. And the first has to do with 
disillusionment resulting from economic realities, and the second has to do with technology. And I'm approaching all of this also with this mindset of our definition of work ethic evolves over time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm going to start here with disillusionment. So work ethic, which I think is essentially what we're talking about here, right? Like how hard are you willing to work? Work ethic is about sacrifice. And sacrifice is inherently an act of optimism. It's an act of hope. We deny or delay our desires because we believe that there is something better on the other side. So we look at how soldiers sacrifice their safety in hopes of returning to a free homeland. Parents sacrifice comfort in hopes that the lives of their children will be more fulfilling or more joyful. Employees sacrifice their time in hopes of reaching positions of leadership and financial success. So let's just look at like what the financial payoff of sacrifice or work ethic would look like today for a young person entering the labor market or or applying to college, right? So let's say that in high school, you exhibit stellar work ethic and you sacrifice friendships and fun, you sacrifice romance uh, for studying and for impressive extracurriculars. And this question of is, well, is it worth it, right? Like, did, did, am I glad that I did that? And the number of applicants to four-year colleges and universities has doubled since the 1970s, but available slots have almost changed zero. And so there is this like kind of reevaluation of like, oh my God, do I like sacrifice my entire childhood um, for this? Which like it feels like there isn't even you know that that promise isn't even necessarily there. Um, economists use the term absolute income mobility to describe the relation of one generation's earning to another. And Steve, this is related to what you were just saying. But for Americans born in 1940, they had approximately a 90% chance of out-earning their parents. And for millennials, the mobility number was about 50% and now predicted to be a little bit lower. And so when we think about, you know, and, and it was, and I, and forgive me for using this, the name, but the baby boom, which I, which in this case, I'm really referring to heightened fertility Mm -hmm. post-World War II, okay? So that cohort really ushered America into an era of ambition, this this incredible kind of work ethic that that happened at that time, this kind of burst of productivity. And you look at that with like, um, why were they willing to sacrifice so much in order for this like – in order for these organizations and the growth and production of these organizations. And I think some of it has to do with on the other side of their sacrifice was remarkable prosperity. So by 1961, the median man between 25 and 29 years old was earning about 400% more than his father made at the same age. And so it makes so much sense to me that what is kind of perceived now as this like legendary work ethic of that era, of course that was there. If you have this promise of prosperity, that is what you get in exchange for your work ethic and your sacrifice, then absolutely. And so I think that that is one component that I think about with possibly how young people may think about sacrifice work ethic today. Yeah, I think what you're really saying is, you know, putting in the hard work now for gratification later on and has that change that people now might say, well, why should I kill myself? I'm not going to get prosperity. I do question... A little bit on the um, the work ethic per se of the baby boom generation in that sense where, one, I don't really equate, equate hippies with hardworking. 
in the way of like professional. Yeah, but they 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 transferred to the greed is good. And <laughs> they so... did. They went from the hippie generation to the me yeah, generation. Exactly. And you know, and I think that one of those things. Um, I think actually what, you know, that generation had is you know, in the United States and different other countries, you know, you had the U.S. had unprecedented wealth as a country at yeah. that time because the following World War Two, you know, and and also education. They had amazing education. You know, it was incredibly cheap. Everyone you had this massively overeducated workforce relative to the kind of work that existed, I think. Personally, and I don't have any data on this, but I think the tech boom in the United States was a lot of people sitting around that had more education, and they're like, "I don't want to do this boring job. I want to use my brain." And they yeah. started, and you had this highly educated workforce. Um, the the issue I think what's happening now, if I'm arguing on yes, I think that it's they're less motivated to work on stuff they don't want to do, which is to say. There's chronic labor shortage right now. And this is like the big, you know, the big resignation, which in fact was like more of a big reshuffle. What you saw is that people realized that there's three clicks of Google from a better job, right? And and the more skilled you are, the more you can find another job. And they've gotten a lot more savvy. Um, they know that the idea of companies aren't committed to employees, so why should employees be committed to companies? There's a, there's no penalty for jumping different jobs if they want to. And it's much easier than it's ever been before. It's so much easier to find jobs and transfer jobs now than it used to be. So I think when a lot of people complain about the yes, is like, yeah, they don't want to do the work you want to do. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a great point, which is like, is it that they like don't want to do this work? Or is it that there's this moment of leverage where mm-hmm. employees you know, until we're like officially deep in a recession, employees kind of had this like momentary moment of leverage and they knew that. I mean, I I remember being in, again, with like one of these groups of boards of directors and it was like really at the height of this great resignation, great reshuffle. They were seeing extremely high attrition levels and they were saying, God, these compensation packages that we're offering right now are so unsustainable. We, We cannot keep doing this. And my response was, they know that's why they're asking for them. <laughs> they know it's not sustainable. They know that if they ask for the same compensation package eight months from now, you're not going to give it to them. And so it's like almost, I, I would maybe argue, the correct amount of uh, being opportunistic which or, or strategic in terms of your own earning potential. Yeah. I, well, I think it is so much driven by the labor market and it's... It's easy to complain when people aren't doing what you want to blame them as opposed to blame, no, you're not good at motivating them. <laughs> you know, whenever I hear a leader say that, oh, these people don't want to work, it's like, well, that's a sign you're a bad leader. Yeah. Because being a leader isn't about what you do. It's what you inspire other people to do through whatever method it is, whether it's incentives or it's, you know, mission and purpose. Yeah. But, you know, as you're talking there, I had I was on a conversation in the pandemic and there was somebody complaining, as a lot of people complain, it's these government handouts. These people aren't working because <laughs> these government handouts. And actually, there was a lot of research that showed that the government handouts, which I don't – I shouldn't use a phrase. It was basically relief so people didn't, go, you know, starve when their companies yeah. shut down. Um, is uh, There's a lot of research that showed that it did not affect unemployment because you had different states drop them at different times and it was a perfect controlled experiment and remind me to put that in the show notes yes, but lots yes. of research that showed that you know they really didn't have effect on employment but what did happen I remember talking to guys like 
you know, how can we compete against government handouts? And I'm thinking to myself two things. Once I was thinking is, if you're competing against government handouts, maybe you're not paying them enough. That was my first thought. But I, of course, I couldn't say this. A lot of my going back, you know. Right. But um, the other thing, though, was, no, they're working. They're just not working for you. Mm-hmm. Because if as soon as you had, like, you know, Amazon and Walmart and stuff offer $15, $20 an hour, full benefits, signing bonuses, you can set your own schedule. Why in the world wouldn't somebody go work for them? So I think you saw a yeah. lot of this shift in just people wanting to work in better jobs that was misinterpreted for that they don't work as hard. Now, I do want to – well, go ahead. I know you have well, a Well, th- yeah. this, is, this is one thing that I'll say is that I think something that was revealed to me during the interview series during the pandemic is that people really do want to work hard. And I think, you know, I, I think – a lot about the nursing shortage, a lot about the teacher shortage. And if this is not stuff that's like keeping you up at night, it should. This is very, very scary stuff. And the people who cared the most seemed to burn out the fastest, not because they didn't want to work hard, but because the systems held them back from kind of doing what they needed to do or the social structure surrounding those institutions had deteriorated to such an extreme extent. And so like the teacher shortage, for example, there are teachers who I spoke to, they left the profession and they're, they're, they're the exact types of teachers that I would want my kids to have. But they're the ones where they're up all night trying to figure out which of their students does not have a safe place mm-hmm. to to live, uh, trying to figure out like who's got food, who doesn't have food, trying to think about their non-traditional learners and and trying to formulate in their mind how they could come up with a virtual curriculum to help that student. And so it's these people who care deeply, but they come up against this empathic distress because they can't do the work that they know will have the biggest impact. And so I think that, you know, and, and I say this passionately just because there, I've had conversations with people where they say they'll use the teacher shortage or the nursing shortage to falsely prove their point that young people today don't want to work. They'll say, look at this. The, the, these are the areas. Yeah, it's a ton of work. Of course, it's a ton of work. And if people wanted to work, this is what they would be doing. No, no, I, it's that they can't do what they need to do to help the most people. And that is the biggest issue. They want to work. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting take because I think on the the answer of, of yes, they're not working this hard. Again, it goes back to they. it's not that they don't want to work. It's that they don't want to do the work that's being offered to them. And in many cases- In they, the way and, it's being offered. Yeah, yeah cases, absolutely. Like, they are working other places. I think the other point that you're making around like, you know- education like nursing and stuff like that is you've got people especially when you get into like people that are just entering the workforce where they're looking at these people saddled with enormous debts that aren't you know and this wasn't true this is one of these things where our society and is just totally screwed stuff up when i went to college i went to uc school it was 500 dollars a quarter (laughs) you know and i'm gonna go you know that there are listeners and their blood is boiling right. hearing well, that number. <laughs> well, the thing is, okay, I'm going to go off into conspiracy land here for a second. And this is a little bit different, but I guess it's our podcast. But it's like, we used to have, and this is all the baby boomers generated from this, a heavily government subsidized educational system. You taxed people so that you could provide low cost education so that their children could go to school without incurring a bunch of debt. 
and it worked wonderfully. Then, and I remember when this happened, because it happened right towards the end of my school. This is the conspiracy part of me. Somebody in Wall Street said, wait, this is working exactly how it's supposed to, and we're not making any money off of it. Wait, so we went in and they went to like one side of the politics and said, you need to stop funding these liberal institutions. And they went to the other side and they said, you need to provide government-backed student loans. And what it did is it completely screwed it up because as soon as people were paying for education off of loans, then there's no ceiling to it. Right. And you're cutting at the same time the funding of the universities. And so you, you took a system that worked wonderfully and completely screwed it up. And this is something that's happened in my lifetime. It was just, and so if you go back and so, sorry, maybe there's a little terror if I like talk radio here. <laughs> but the point is that you're, you've, people coming into, which goes back to your earlier point on this, I think people coming into the workforce now are looking at the traditional path and they're like, that path is so screwed up that I don't want to take that path. And we still like, like nursing, okay, we need nurses, we teach us. Why do we make them pay to learn to become a nurse? Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Right. It's it's the best for our society for people to be educated. We should be doing everything we possibly can to educate people. Because And then once they enter that industry, uh it needs to be set up to make them want to stay. Right. As know? opposed to exploit them. Right. Which exactly. and, you know so I think this is the the, the issues that you're seeing in those industries where people are complaining about why come kids don't want to do this, it's because you're there's no good path for them to get there. They don't believe that hard work will pay off in this area because it hasn't necessarily. Right. And once they get into it, rather than and, and I don't want to blame companies per se, this is a larger societal problem. Rather than saying we need to create these jobs and fund them and make them fully staffed, as the staffing gets worse, we just make the job worse. Right. You know, and um, and particularly like in teaching in medical school, there's a whole, and I'll see if, I'll see if I can find it for the show notes, but a study that said in the medical profession, they exploit the caring nature of caregivers. They know they'll always do more because they actually see the patient. And this gets, you know, so, but we've gone far afield. From- no, but you know what? It's it's intertwined <laughs> and, I, and I'll bring, I'll bring it back here to, um, to the, this, this possibility of, of yes. But again, even when I say like, sure, let's argue, yes, young people work less hard. And I'm, I'm using air quotes on that. Um, I, I think that another reason that, that it could be kind of perceived this way at this time is because technology has just totally transformed productivity and how work can be accomplished and get done. And, uh, you know, there, there's different examples that, that we can give, I think. But I mean, even historically, right, the British historian C. Northcote Parkinson in 1955 had Parkinson's Law, which is work expands to fill the time available for its completion. And it was it's really like in that Parkinson's Law that our like workplace existed where it's like, okay, we'll say it's nine to five and then like you can have 40 minutes of work, but we'll just make it really suboptimal and really inefficient so that it can fill this time. I would say there's a degree that you could argue, yes, people are more comfortable not fulfilling expectations. And the reason they're more comfortable, this whole quiet quitting thing that you hear a lot about, Mm -hmm. is um, 
if you look at the actual original thing, the person said, I'm just going to show up every day and just meet expectations. I'm tired of being told to exceed expectations constantly. And this is a challenge as we become more of, as the nature of work has changed and plug for my book, Talent Tectonics, I go into this in great detail, but the, um, Work has changed as you go into a service job. What is a service job? You're supposed to exceed somebody's expectations. You're supposed to figure out how you can do whatever it is you're doing better in a way that delights people. That's exhausting. And what's good, what good is never good enough. And I think what you're seeing is people are going, I just want to come in, check in, punch a clock, leave. I, I'm tired of being constantly told to do more, do more, do more. Inspiration only takes me so far. So I think that on the yes side, and I do want to switch to the no side, but on the yes side, I think there is a movement probably of younger people coming in that have seen their parents kill them, to just work really, really hard to be just terminated and kicked to the curb by companies that have seen maybe older, just, you know, 10 years older than saddled by crushing debt and not being able to get a decent job that are just like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And <laughs> and I'll like wrap up the maybe yes section, which is that every generation has an opportunity as they kind of step into mm-hmm. adulthood for to reevaluate the society that they inherit. And it's we're we're in one of those stages right now where we do have a lot of younger people who are looking up and the reality is is about 50% of baby boomers are divorced, about two-thirds have one or more chronic illnesses. And so it's not crazy for a group of young people as they embark on their career journey to ask themselves, am I willing to sacrifice that? Like your health and your relationships, these two things that you really can't get back. Like, is that what I want to sacrifice? Which creates this uh, ripple effect where, where the kind of fundamental question of our time is, what am I willing to sacrifice for my job? And I think that that will end up really shaping what, in some ways, is what the future of work looks like. Yeah, I think uh, absolutely. And I think also one of the things kind of goes back to some of the stuff you talked about earlier, which is, you know, a big purpose of work used to be to sort of get fundamental material things. Now, I want to recognize there's huge differences in our society, but for, for you know, a large portion of our society that... Aside from housing being, a, because that's kind of crazy, but you know, the material things that people have now that are average were like, would have been mind boggling in the 1960s, you know? And so there's a lot of things where people are focusing a lot more on experiences. They're not looking at accumulating material things. And so in that sense, they're like, I don't want a job where I have to work all the time to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. I want a job that allows me to maybe spend time playing video games because that's where I enjoy it. And that's, you know. I've 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 matured as a father. I'm more <laughs> accepting of video games. Than I used to be. <laughs> but um, going back to no children have more unrealized potential than your own. But um, so I think that's you know I think that's an interesting shift. Which is you know, I think the shift of work is what what people want from work may be fundamentally shifting. Sort of like how it shifted in they say the baby boom generation. They didn't want to necessarily work in a factory like their right. father did. What they wanted from work shifted. Um, and it led to some really interesting changes and tech boom and productivity. Who knows what's going to come up? Because to your point is, it's not that they don't want to work. It's they don't want to do the kind of work that's being offered to them by a lot of companies. Right. Exactly. So what about, so what about the no side? 
So the no side, I think that maybe this is where we bring in kind of some of the way that you had initially answered this question in our notes around. So so for arguing like no, which is essentially the argument of young people have better work ethic. Is that kind of what we would be arguing or how, how, how should we take well, I this? Think, I think the no... I think what we we, we answer because this is a really this is a really complicated one of all the ones we've looked at because right. there's so many ways you can look at it. So I think, you know, on the yes side, we said yes for certain kinds of work. <laughs> that's, I think that's the answer. Yes, with the caveat that yes, they don't want to desperately do what people traditionally might want them to do. Right. The um, and that's because as a lot of societal changes on the no side, that there's. A lot of things that influence performance at work. First of all, on the no side, look, you can be disengaged at any age. It's not that they're not working less hard. It's that older people aren't working as hard either. You can quiet quit from 55 to 60 as most you can from 25 to 30. Yeah. So this idea that disengagement is unique to the young is absolutely false, you know, Um it has nothing to do with your age in that sense. It has to do with what's going on in your life, the nature of your work, you know. And so in that sense, I'd say no. If you if companies stopped and looked at what's happening in their entire employee population, they'd probably find they have a lot of disengagement. And there's a lot of – and there might be like – the other thing is – you know, they, just because people don't want to work for you doesn't mean they don't want to work. They just don't want to work for you. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, so I think that would be one of the, the main no, though, is just to say that it's that it's being totally misinterpreted. Companies aren't getting what they want, but it's not because there's anything about the youth that's right. different at a, at a basic level psychologically. Yeah. I do agree with the early points on the yes side that society's changed and the nature of work's changing. But if you look at an individual person by themselves, are younger people more slackers than older people? No. Right. No. They're just in a different life situation. Yeah. Well, maybe we do handle this one a little bit differently just because even the nature of the topic is different. Um, where even essentially in our argument around yes, what we were actually talking about is like the evolution of work ethic mm-hmm. and like sacrifice and how the economic environment that exists when you enter the labor market has impacts on how you think about work in your life. So we kind of took that in some different different ways. And, and, which, and which is why I tend to say, yeah, there are age differences, but there's so many things that are more relevant to look at. There's things to look at the nature of the job. Yeah. There's things to look at the nature of sort of the labor market at the times, the life situation people are in. That's what we should be focusing on. And so whenever I, like going back to our question, and maybe this is sort of summing this up. Yes. We've gone all over the place on this one. Is this like, our young people don't work as hard as old people, you know, young kids. It's like, that's the wrong question. The question is, why don't some people seem to work hard? Yeah. Or why is it people are perceived as not working hard? That's the right question. Because as soon as you put in a demographic label, you're trying to assign blame. I mean, that's why we do it. Why do we say young people don't work as hard as old people? Because we want to say it's it's not something about the situation or the world. It's something about them. Right. And it's just an th- – th- this one is just an an unhealthy question. It's really funny. Of all the questions we've looked at, yeah. this is the one that I'd say is the most unhealthy way to think about the world. Yeah. I'll I'll end my piece here on that. I think that the most – interesting thing about this question and this topic is one that it's like very human i mean mm-hmm. I, for 
almost 15 years I've been doing this and this whole concept of like, why don't young people seem, why aren't they willing to sacrifice yeah. what I sacrificed, right? And it's so human. And so I think that it can open this door for us to have a conversation about how the role of work in our lives evolves over time, how people's expectations of leaders changes over time, um, what they want out of work, you know, those types of things. And so I actually feel like it's just, it's a good door to explore change and, and what that means. And then I would say from kind of this like altruistic view is that something that you said in one of the previous episodes is that all of this, like, you know, business success and economic success is obviously inextricably tied from like a healthy society, Mm -hmm. right? And so from that lens, I think it's important for people to ask themselves, I ask myself this even when I think about, you know, my own kids or that type of thing is, does our society tell young people that on the other side of their sacrifice, there is something great? Yeah. Because that is something we all have to be working toward. Yeah. No, I think that's um, just a, a couple. So I want to humorous thought on this, too. It's from a young people perspective. I saw this great demotivational poster once that said, hard work often pays off over time, but laziness always pays off right now. <laughs> 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 so to some degree, maybe they're making a very rational choice, right? You know, they're like, why should I work for something when I, you know, but... The, but- well, and I'm just going to interject and say that many years ago, E-Trade had a hilarious advertisement that said, the harder you work, the better boat your boss can be on. And like, just that whole concept <laughs> yeah, there's this, too. There's yeah. this attitude. So I think there's there's part of that is the sort of economic disparity and people's concerns about it. But on the serious point, because I do think, and why this these podcasts? I just so enjoy this, um, and I hope the listeners enjoy it too. But we surely have a heck of a time talking about this. Is um, the question about why you know why do young people not, not work hard? And like with this one, the question we should be asking is, what is it that gives us the perception that young people don't want to work as hard? Mm. Because that is not about them. That is about us. That is about society. Yes. And I think. When it comes to these sorts of questions, we want to ask a question that is not a yes or no. We want to ask a question is a how can we learn more? And this one, I think it's really important because the other path is fraught with blame and ageism and peril and all kinds of bad things. Agreed. Agreed. Perfect place to end. And the reframing of that question, I think, is a beautiful point to make. Thanks. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time on Yes or No.